Hi, this is Alan Parks. You may know me for my fabulous bass playing in such bands as the Smart Fellers, the Maikai Gents, and Sister Swing, or perhaps from my beautiful yet sturdy homemade Adirondack chairs. I'm also the guy who taught Judd's mom how to play tuba. I've got Judd slapping some funk for me, so I'm introducing today's show. Judd's got cookbook authors extraordinaire Hugh Carpenter and Terry Sanderson. They are two erudite, creative, and fun folks, and you'll have a good time listening in. But before we get to it, I want to invite you to visit one of my favorite Napa spots, Judd's Hill. It's conveniently located at the south end of the Silverado Trail, and they'll show you a good time with some fine wines. Visiting info is at www.juddshill.com. The site also has fun videos, poetry, and, yes, of course, wine. Put some in your cart, and then type in coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters to get 15% off your entire wine order. Want a better deal? I know we all do. Join the Judd's Hill Wine Club. It's free to join, and you could do it right there on the website. Judd will definitely take good care of you. Now, enjoy the show. My fingers are bleeding. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live. From the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Fingelstein. Top of the day to you, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. What's happening in the world of Lauren? Oh, well, I'm doing such quite well at my new job at, as a courtesy clerk here at Napa Raley's. Wonderful. That's been going on now just a week or two, right? I think this is my fourth week now there. Oh, it's been that long. Well, you're a veteran. So what are some of your responsibilities as a courtesy clerk? Oh, I get to bag the groceries. I get to sweep the floor with this big mop, which means I get to walk around the whole store. They trust you with the big mop. Oh, they do. You're moving up quickly. That's great. And you're enjoying it. You, I am. You're seeing a lot of people you know probably come in. Oh, yeah. And they must like seeing you. They do. Everyone likes seeing Lauren. Of course. Now, I think as part of a, uh, the responsibilities of a courtesy clerk is to let people know that they should have a nice day. Is that right. correct? Can you give me your best Lauren Mole have a nice day? Have a nice day. Wonderful. I've just had a best day ever. You just made my day by saying that. Well, that's great. So you're there at Rayleigh's. Folks can come see you anytime. They can. Get your autograph. 217 Soskal Avenue. Wow, you're on. <laughs> That's great. Any performances coming up? You're always involved in some musical, musical theater, the uh, Terry Bradford Community Chorus. Must have something coming up. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that of course, is one. But as for other performances, unfortunately, I have to work now. Oh, so you're so. not involving yourself in the uh, no, musical theater as not, much? Not at the moment. Well, is the chorus doing a holiday show this year? Oh, we are. It's, it's our second annual. Tell me. Well, this time uh, we are back at it again with the Terry Bradford uh, Napa Valley Community Course. With the this time we're calling it Rock the Season, and this uh -huh. time it will be held at the Lincoln Theater. Okay. In Yonville. Wonderful. Hmm. That's a great venue. Oh, it is, and it won't be until December fourth. So tickets are still available now at this time. For more information, you can go to terrybradford.com. It's just that easy. <laughs> 
Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> the master of the plug. Well, I'm going to put in a couple myself. Oh, you, sure. you mentioned yeah. Lincoln Theater, and one of my favorite performances of the year is coming up. It's the 14th annual Napa Regional Dance Nutcracker. This is the classic holiday presentation here in Napa Valley. It's going to be December 20th and 21st at Lincoln Theater. Tickets are available now, and I recommend folks get them now because this thing only runs for three performances. It sells out every year at the Lincoln Theater. It's a big deal. So get them now at lincolntheater.com this coming Sunday. This is uh, November 2nd coming up at the City Winery, which is the former Napa Valley Opera House. Beautiful venue. My very own band playing our old-time Hawaiian music will be there for an end-of-harvest luau. That's uh, Sunday, November 2nd. We're starting to play at 1 p.m. We'll go for a few hours anyway. It's free to come. Can't be that. Have some old-time Hawaiian music. They're going to have food, Judd's Hill wine specials. It's going to be a great time. I hope folks will come out to City Winery for the luau. And then save the date for December 7th, another one of my favorite parties, one that I get to put on. It's the Judd's Hill Hanukkah Hootenanny. Always tons of fun. It benefits Napa CHI, which ensures that all kids, actually now all people in Napa County, have access to health insurance and health care. So it's a great uh, benefit. That's Sunday, December 7th from noon to 2.30 at Judd's Hill Winery on the Silverado Trail. I hope to see you there. Nodding is good on the radio. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. good. <laughs> you can give me a you betcha or a thumbs up or a hang loose. That's great. Lauren? Yes, John. There we go. I like to hear your voice. Shall we begin today's show? Oh, sure. Yes. Okay. Would you like to introduce these fine people sitting here? I would be honored to. Uh, hang on a second. Okay. Are their cookbooks all dandy? To this, we say, very. With lovely photos and great instruction, not one recipe is scary. <laughs> with their books, you'll be the star of the feast. So relax with wine or a Bloody Mary. Two culinary artists. Let's welcome our friends, Hugh and Terry. Hey, how about that? that was Thank good. you. That was the best introduction ever. It was not fabulous. Yeah. Hugh Carpenter, Terry Sanderson, welcome. Good morning. I am Jed. so happy to have you here. Good morning, Lauren. Hi, Terry. Hugh has been here. He knows what's in store. He doesn't seem scared. He's still smiling. <laughs> yeah. He knows it's going to be painless. Terry, you're joining him. You guys are an amazing uh, spousal team that you write these cookbooks. You're, this is number 16 that just came out. That's right. Cookbook, right. As far as we know. Oh, <laughs> there might be some <laughs> illegitimate cookbooks out there we're not aware of. <laughs> Tell me how you divide the labor. I know Hugh primarily is the cooking teacher and maybe develops recipes. Do you help as well, Terry? I know you are the, the photographer extraordinaire, but are you also involved in the culinary side? I call myself the chief recipe tester ah. and taster. And evaluator. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. So Yeah, Terry is an excellent, excellent cook, and so if I'm testing recipes for one of our books, it's really fantastic to have her say yay or nay, maybe a little more salt, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. You've got it's the palate. Good. Yeah. Oh, how nice. What a good team you make. Wait a minute. Before we get too far into it, I see you have something here. Should we talk about this really quick? Yes. Is this, what is this? We brought a gift for Judd's Treasures, and oh. it is a CD of our favorite group in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which has a very lively club scene at night. Oh, cool. And so it's uh, called Heel and Cartus. Uh, Heel is a guitar player, and Cartus is a jazz uh, violin, jazz fiddle player from Havana, and they star with Doc Severinsen. Who oh, no lives, kidding. He mm -hmm. lives in San Miguel now and plays a mean trumpet. 
Wow. So Doc is south of the border. That's great. Okay, so this is your favorite group. This is their CD, and you you brought it here as a gift. Do you mind if I maybe share it with uh, a listener? That would be that great. That would be great. Okay, I'm, I want to listen to it first before I give it away, but I'd be happy to give this away. Folks, if you're listening and you are near your home computer or smartphone and you have access to Twitter, all you got to do if you want this CD is to send a tweet. The first one that comes in with the hashtag JNVS, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, and maybe you can put at Judd's Hill on there. It'll get to me really quickly. First one gets to have this. I'll bring it back to Judd's Hill Winery. I'll have it for a few days. Let's give it three days. If you don't pick it up, then it's mine. I'm keeping it. But uh, the first tweet with hashtag JNVS, this CD is yours. You mentioned this group is from San Miguel de Allende. It's a town in Mexico where you guys have very strong connections. This is where you do your famed right, cooking school. Right. We've run a cooking school there for 10 years. You know, San Miguel de Allende is uh, sort of one of those beautiful old Mexican colonial towns that run down the spine of the country. It's exactly dead center in Mexico, 400 hmm. miles from either coast, 6,000 feet above sea level, high desert country, built in the 18th and 19th century as a banking uh, commerce center f- to uh, interact with the silver mines that were in the area. Oh, okay. And uh, eventually transitioned after World War II to be uh, a town that uh, really focused its attentions on on uh, celebrating the arts. It's a very artsy town, I understand. Yeah, very, very safe, very, very, very arty, uh, wonderful, you know, to sit and listen to Doc Severinsen and his band in a venue, in a dining venue where everyone's having dinner and there are maybe 75 people. It's, you know, really, really small groups to interact. It's, it's very exciting. What a cool vibe. What it cool reminds us of the old jazz clubs in Hollywood. Oh, you just kind of sit, hang, catch have, the vibe. Have a little dinner and listen to the music. And then do the musicians kind of hang out and have a little drink with you oh, guys? Yes, and yes. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. Oh, that's got to be fun. Doc must have a million stories, as do I'm sure all these other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so does his old members of the uh, Tonight Show band. Yeah, that's that, well, that's where he gained his fame, right? As Johnny Carson's band leader. Yeah, and he's a man in his 80s now, incredibly vital individual. Just tons and tons of energy. That's wonderful. Still has the the strength to oh, blow yes. that horn. Oh mm-hmm. yes, yeah. How cool. Now, what attracted you guys to that area for your cooking school, Terry? I know you're a world traveler. You had. Have you been there way back? Yes, I, I went there? there in the 60s and, uh, you know, fell in love with it. And then Hugh and I, when we met, we we found out that we both loved Mexico, but we hadn't been to San Miguel together. Ah. So we finally went in the year 2000 and um, totally fell in love with it. With, uh, with two or three other couples from Napa Valley. And I wish the folks listening could have seen the look Terry just gave Hugh. You turned your head, you could probably hear that. And you gave him like such a like loving look, like that was a magical <laughs> moment. I could tell in your history just by the look you just gave him. It was. Oh wow! And now, okay, so you fell in love separately, together, with each other, with San Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> and what led to like the founding of this school? After we'd been going there obsessively for several years, and Hugh would tell all his cooking students, oh, we just got back from San Miguel, the food was so good, this was so good, that they started saying, Hugh, you've got to arrange a cooking school in San Miguel. So we finally did. You just did it. Mm-hmm. Is it a standalone school, or do you use some facilities that are already we, we there? There's a, there's a wonderful hotel in San Miguel, uh, Casa uh, Sierra Nevada, 
and they own a colonial building right in the heart of San Miguel. Uh, that's a, a beautiful houseware store, a cookware shop, and has a big enough kitchen where 14 of us can all cook together. Mm. And so every every morning we meet at Cezanne and cook and have lunch, and often a local celebrity will come in and have lunch with us, and we get to hear their arrival story and how they found San Miguel. And then they have all afternoon free to shop like mad uh, or have margaritas or sit on the town square or just relax. And then in the early evening hours, we go to artist homes that are internationally known mm. and meet the artists and see their their work and their home and all troop out to dinner afterwards. It's depressing kind of stuff to do, so night after awful. night. You, you, so sort of food, food, people cooking, pay and you for this torture? shopping and <laughs> arts. Yes. <laughs> that sounds great. And each session, you said, is 14 people? 12. Yeah. Oh, 12. Oh, and then yeah. you two. Yes. 14. Wow. So it's very intimate. You really get to know each other. You probably right. made... We try to keep it small because, you you know, going through the markets and so forth, you get beyond 12 people. It's hard for, hard oh, for everyone to really interact with what they're seeing. Right. And you want folks to have that um, experience where they're really in the midst of it and not and just then, part of a big group getting herded around. And then mm-hmm. one of the things that we do, which I think is really neat and is a little bit different is that each day we do about five recipes of mine that are sort of a Californian's take on contemporary Mexican cooking. Mm. It's not necessarily authentic, but has all, each dish has all the flavors of Mexico. But then we also have a, a Mexican chef, uh, Emmanuel, who uh, does one recipe each day that's based on his mother's repertoire. Oh. So you have both the new and the old in the classes each day. And it's really, really fun to see that. And then the two, two of us play off of each other as we're presenting our, our dishes. Now, does he have your sense of humor as well? Can you guys? He's charming. He's utterly, utterly charming. Yeah. Because one thing I've heard from 100% of the people that I've met that have been in one of your classes, either down there or locally, is that not only do you learn great techniques and ideas, but they're, you're funny. I mean, they laugh <laughs> their, their heads off. So does, does this guy participate in that? Can you kind of rib each other? Yes. And, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, th- I think that cooking is meant that to be fun. That was a hilarious fun. answer, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> and we're this funny. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying. I, I think that, you know, people who are good cooks are, are usually fantastically well socialized and fun to be with in the kitchen. And so we usually get a group of people that come down, mother-daughter teams, groups mm. of couples traveling together, people coming to celebrate a special anniversary, all of whom are very well socialized, and even if they don't consider themselves to be wonderful cooks, are willing to learn and have fun and kick up their heels and have a good belly laugh now and then. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. And I would imagine with that small of a group that everybody really makes friends. You know, oh, yeah, like-minded. and we have people that come back over and over again. Oh, yeah. We're having uh, a couple that swing back this March for their third or fourth time out of 10. So either it means that there's a difficulty translating the material that I I say. They're not getting it. Yes, (laughs) yes. coming back, okay. Probably not. It's probably they're just having way too much fun to not come. It happens three times a year. uh, Right, we do do it in February. So we have two programs in February that run for a week each and a program in early March. And we try to schedule this right when the, the winter is the most severe across the northern states. Mm. And so in San Miguel, that time of the year, it's the dry season, not the rainy season. And spring is happening at least a month Yeah, all the jacaranda trees are bursting forth with their purple blossoms. Oh, beautiful. And yeah, it's fant- a fantastic time to be in. Every day is 75 degrees. Oh. 
and you're in the high country. Right, right, versus minus zero in Chicago. Right, yeah, yeah, it seems pretty attractive to get down there, as long as you're not an allergy sufferer, I guess, with everything in bloom, but yeah. but great photo ops. Three times a year, these sell out, right, every... Yes, we have just a few spaces left in the February 1 through 6 program. Otherwise, the other two programs are yeah. sold out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so February 1st through 6th, uh, 2015. Yes. If folks want to get up, ready to sell today, let's sell it out. <laughs> okay, you can go to... Uh, HughCarpenter.com, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. H-U-G-H-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R.com. Sign up today. No matter where you're listening, sign up. People Don't can delay. St- people can stream this where, Lauren? Anywhere in the world. So that's right. Folks in Chicago or cold places could be listening right now via KVON.com. And, and the upcoming winter is supposed to be the most severe ever. In the northern states. Yes. So you need yes. to go to Mexico. You have to. It's absolutely a must. And have warm, comforting food and... Icy margaritas. That sounds great. <laughs> the book that just came out, this is your 16th cookbook, is sort of based on on your experiences in Mexico. It's called Mexican Flavors. And tell me about it. You mentioned it's not necessarily traditional, all traditional Mexican recipes, but it's Mexican flavors incorporated right. into new... Right. And so ideas. what Terry and I have done is we've done, you know, odd riffs on things like quesadillas that are filled with thinly sliced papaya and brie mm. um, and racks of lamb with uh, chocolate and chilies and cilantro Yum. and uh, little pan fried sopas or dumplings uh, with a chipotle chili sauce. Oh, so good. So we try to do things that are and uh, avocado that's pureed just in a blender with uh, uh, ginger and cilantro and hot sauce and served chilled in little shooter glasses. Wow, that's wonderful. And that's all in the book. That's all in the book, page 14. <laughs> Great. I don't remember which page it was, but I have cooked out of this book. In fact, uh, the first recipe I made was right after I had to uh, cancel on you guys. We were going to do a show. Through whatever miscommunication, you guys showed up. I wasn't there. My sincere apologies once again. <laughs> but I'd lost my voice. I was not feeling well. I was ragged. I kind of sounded like this. I think I talked to you on the phone. So I opened up this book, Mexican Flavors, and I found the Sopa Azteca, uh, the oh, Aztec yes. soup. And I said, this is going to bring based, my voice back. Based on chicken broth exactly. for health. I made it up. It's a tortilla soup. You know, your riff on on that with tomatoes and chicken broth and guajillo chiles. Yes. and Beautiful guajillo chiles. Wonderful flavors that added to it. The technique in there, and I want to ask you if this is traditional or if this is one of your own things, but something I've never done, had a big kick out of doing, was caramelizing tomatoes. Yeah, taking tomatoes, vine-ripened tomatoes, um, or hothouse tomatoes if you, if you don't have vine-ripe available, lopping off just the very top and bottom of each tomato, uh, sprinkling them with sugar, yeah. and then charring them on a barbecue That's so amazing. they get caramelized, so they have the tomato flavor becomes more intensely tomato-y because of the uh, reduction in the mass of the, uh, the burning off of the, the interior liquid of the tomato. And uh, it picks up a, a beautiful caramel taste that it gives the soup without the soup tasting sweet. Yeah, true enough. You, you, now that I'm, I'm thinking back to my sense memory, it wasn't a sweet soup. Uh, it was very rich, very comforting. It felt like it just you know, filled my senses with the aromatics from the, the chili and um, I guess the leftover caramelization that was in the kitchen. Right. I felt so good afterwards. It warmed me. <laughs> with the, the guajillo chilies were not spicy. Right. But they had a warming effect. Like my body just felt 
nice and warm and honest to goodness my voice started coming back and my energy came back it's a, it's a oh, great tonic great. that sopa azteca it is what page is that that's a you just turned to it you have page it here 91 page 91 folks page 91 this, uh, book that's and then cure-all. in in each of these recipes you know we try to give variations so you're not just stuck with one recipe that's uh, kind of one of the things that we really pride ourselves on with our classes because you could make that soup and and uh, serve the soup in little chilled in little shooter glasses, or you could serve it in a martini glass of big jumbo cooked shrimp on the yeah. lip of the you know to dip it in mm-hmm. um, instead of serving it just as a soup. Or you could stir stir in seafood into the soup and make it into a kind of a Mexican chowder. Yum, It'd be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I I did as pictured basically with the avocado slice and the tortilla chips, and I didn't really salt the soup as I was cooking it, mm-hmm. but I used salty tortilla chips in the mm. soup to kind of right. give that its salty flavor, kind of right, bring out right. the flavors. That was kind of fun. Another thing I appreciate about this book, Mexican Flavors, is how you talk about the building blocks of flavor in Mexican cuisine. Uh, and it's really eye-opening. I mean, I consider myself somewhat of an accomplished home cook. I mean, I can find my way around the kitchen. Certainly not a professional chef by any means, but this really opened my eyes and gave me some new tools to use on how to use the different chilies like you talk about the different chili peppers and the flavors that they can impart and then so many other elements such as well the chicken broth such as um, chocolate tomatoes all these things uh, that you can use to build flavors in the cuisine yeah their uh, chilies are really an important part of their cuisine both both fresh and dried and remember of course that a fresh chili's name changes when it's dried so a chipotle chili is a dried jalapeno and and, and a a poblano, a fresh poblano, which poblanos are only fresh, Hmm. uh, when it's dried becomes a uh, ancho chili. Oh, that's the ancho chili. Yeah. And and there's a lot made in in Mexican cookbooks about, well, you know, this recipe calls for a huajillo chili, and if you don't use a huajillo chili, you're just in deep trouble with this (laughs) recipe. But really, it's not true. I mean, basically, chilies are the same size, have roughly the same heat, Level, even though they may be minor differences in flavor, and so all these these chilies that are the same size, and we have pictures in the book of all the chilies life size, the actual size that you would see them in the market, can be used interchangeably. Oh, cool, cool! That's a great guide. I didn't realize those were life size photos. I, that's a good good tool. It can kind of bring you that can book cut, in and compare. You can cut them out if you want to. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just don't cook with them. The pictures. <laughs> don't throw those in the recipe in the blender. Speaking of blender, you also mentioned how that revolutionized modern Mexican cuisine. Yeah, I was just teaching on the East Coast, and so at the beginning of the class I would say, now I've got this cookbook for someone who can tell me what what really happened that was important in Mexican cooking in, in 1955. And, of course, it'd be a, a sea of blank spaces, faces. Yeah. But, of course, it was the introduction of the Sunbeam electric blender. The electric blender in Mexican cooking revolutionized Mexican cooking starting in the mid-50s. How so? Because everything is labor-intensive, and everything was pulverized ah. using a mocajeta or right. a lava rock, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, with the home cook being on their knees, going back and forth with this, grinding it up. And uh, Mexican cooking was incredibly time-consuming to do. And that's all changed because of the introduction of the blender. And if you walk down a street in San Miguel and you walk past the windows of of kitchens, 
uh, that are right on the right next to the street. You'll hear a blender and then another blender and another blender as you walk down the street. From and that's house, okay with you? From house to house, absolutely. You're not yeah. one of these purists to say, well, if it's not done with right. the mocajete, it's right, right. No I'm not going to kneel on a stone floor and 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 and, and puree the, the soup that way. Okay. I'm going to use electricity. This is good progress. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's good to know. And, and it, I never thought that that's you know that's the an essential tool in the Mexican kitchen now the blender. Very cool. We do have to take a break with Hugh Carpenter, Terry Sanderson, authors of 16 cookbooks, uh, the latest one called Mexican Flavors. We're going to hear more from them really soon. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. La, 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 la. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa, and streaming live around the world at kvon.com, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. Why, thank you, Lauren Mole. No problem, Judd. Right on. Anytime to help. I appreciate that. I can count on you anytime. Another nod. Thanks, Lauren. We're here with Hugh Carpenter and Terry Sanderson, authors of 16 cookbooks, many of which have uh, won awards from the International Association of Cooking Professionals, James Beard Award nominated. I mean, you guys... You're big time. I'm excited <laughs> to have you here. How did I get worthy? Oh, <laughs> we've, we've only known your family for 30 years. Is that it? Yes, yeah. I was born yeah. into worthiness? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm only 20-something years old. We're talking about the new book. It's fantastic. I could talk about it for the rest of the hour. Let's, let's make another couple points, and then I, there's so many interesting things to talk to you about, so we'll, we'll move on. But this is your newest book, uh, Mexican Flavors, and there's a beautiful map on the inside cover that you've wanted to point out some details about it. Well, it's really cool. Uh, Terry's inspiration for this. Go ahead, well, the Terry. Cook, the cookbook is based on our cooking school, our experience in San Miguel de Allende running uh, the cooking school for the last nine years, 10th year coming up. And San Miguel is a hotbed of history for Mexico. It's the home of the uh, Mexican independence movement. Oh. So in the year 1810, the first battle for independence from Spain began with a group of soldiers moving off from San Miguel over to Guanajuato, the capital of the state. Mm. So we've got this whole history outlined here in the front end papers of the book. In its most beautiful map. It's just an incredible map. Was that an existing map, or did you... Uh, no, we, we commissioned commission, it. You did commission yeah. it. it. It it looks like a historic, I illuminated said, map. I said to Terry, oh, let's not do the map. No one's going to look at the map. Oh, come on. It's just an extra expense. <laughs> on and on and on. Then the book comes out. I go to my first book signing. There's a long line of people there, and the first person opens up the book to the map and says, oh... This is incredible, this map. I said, it was my idea. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it, it is beautiful. Uh, I've, I was studying it um, you know, when I first got the book, you know, checking it out. I learned a little bit not only about independence, but about the missionaries and the chichimecas. And you give a lot mm, of history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about what's going on in this map. Yes. Yeah, Terry's written an essay that accompanies the map that talks about the history. And then the, the map in the, in the front of the book is all in Spanish. But the exact same map in the back of the book is everything's in English. Did that double the expense? Yeah. Oh, I no. <laughs> because you care that much. <laughs> no sp- expense uh, spared. You also put on these pyramids, and I'm guessing, Terry, was this your, your detail? You, you can take credit for it, but Terry, no, no, was that your idea this, for the pyramids? 
Well, my photography has branched out from photographing mainly food and wine, which I did for 27 years, mm -hmm. and now I'm photographing ancient temple sites around the world. And the fact that they discovered a pyramid site right at the edge of San Miguel de Allende, I was very, very excited. So the anthropology department has rehabilitated this pyramid, made it into tourist accessible, uh, put in a parking lot and a shuttle bus, and they have guides every day. And I just love it. It's uh, a pyramid from around seven uh, or 800 A.D., a nomadic group finally settled in this area and yes, built yeah. this pyramid. And do we know who that group was? was? No, they don't have a name. They haven't found any written records, but they've found um, a skeleton buried at the top. So uh, it was their leader, the group's leader, they buried at the top of this pyramid. Wow. That's incredible. So your fascination with these uh, ancient sacred sites, uh, is that what's driving your world travels? You guys you guys were recently in Iran. Mm -hmm. Was that what brought you there to see ancient sites? Was it a cultural yes. trip? Not it a lot of folks vacation in Iran these days. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really curious to hear Not many, many Europeans vacation there. Yeah, it's just we, the Americans. Okay, just so the Americans who aren't in, there. In our bubble here, we don't yes. hear about a lot yeah, of folks Yeah, we think, oh, well, there. no one's going there. But of okay. course, actually, the rest of the world is going there, but not, not Americans. Okay, so what was your experience like? Uh, the architecture is just incredible. Well, the people were really friendly, and they actually were so happy that the ice was thawing. Oh, when they good. discovered that we were Americans, they were very warm People would come up on the street and say, where are you from? Where are you from? America. America! I love America! Completely you, just a visceral reaction. Oh, that's good. You yeah. didn't have that uh, like that gut kind of feeling like, to say, uh, we're from uh, Toronto. Right, yeah, like, I saw Argo. They <laughs> yeah, all pretended to be yeah, Canadian. There was yeah, was no sense of minders, you know. Okay. Yeah. That's good. So you saw beautiful The places, architecture of the old palaces and the mosques. Great and mosques. it's very easy to go into a mosque. And um, anyway, the, the ancient architecture is fantastic. Yeah, the so Persians very were, well yeah, preserved. Persepolis. Very oh, yes, yeah. we visited Persepolis with Darius the Great, the wow. tomb of Darius and Cyrus. And your ph uh, photography from there must be amazing. Is it viewable anywhere? It, Are you showing is. this to folks? I am. I uh, showed it for the Napa Valley Artists Open Studios the end of September, oh. a few of my shots of the architecture. So more to come. Okay, good. I'll look forward to that. i got to ask you, how was the food over there? This really was not a food trip, and oh. and uh, we had a couple of meals that were really fantastic, but generally the food was just kind of so-so. People still well, say that the best food is in the homes, and mm -hmm. they don't have a big restaurant industry set up yet. I see, I see. And you were not in people's homes no. to no. have that? No. We were pretty heavily scheduled. It was an art history trip, okay. so we were pretty pretty booked. Gotcha. I've... Uh, I've never been over there. Uh, my my closest, I guess, I've been to some Persian weddings, oh. which are extravaganzas to say the least. Uh, go for hours and hours, uh, but the food, it's never ending. Again, I'll use the word. It's extravagant. It's wonderful, but you know these are caterers here that specialize in that. So, I suppose the uh, and they're mostly in Southern California. So probably the Los Angeles mm -hmm. Persian. Community caterers, which is a huge are, community, are probably maybe a little more advanced than the uh, <coughs> restaurant scene in Iran. Mm -hmm. I think so. Maybe so. And better in better ingredients. I think the embargo is still hurting the country. Mm, I see. Well, interesting. Well, you guys, you don't let any moss grow under you, do you? 
<laughs> where, where, you were just in Korea too, right? Just, yes, uh, I was Terry. just you in. You didn't go, right? No, I didn't go. Okay. I, I was I, just in South Korea with the San Francisco Asian Art Museum, and we had a wonderful professor taking us around, looking at all the ancient temple sites and Buddhist monasteries. So, And you had your shutter clicking away oh, there as I well? Oh, I did. I did. It was autumn, uh, October, and uh, the trees were just turning, and it was gorgeous weather, so we had great light. Oh, how nice. Good for a photographer. I can't wait to see those either. Oh, beautiful. So as a photographer and being involved in the, the food scene for 20-something years, how do you convey flavors through photos? I know it's very important. You, you talked about this last time you were on, that the recipes that you think people really gravitate to are the ones that are accompanied by photographs. You want people to right, see the what they're getting into. Right, right. So how do you approach that? What is your take on getting people to taste these dishes just by seeing them to say, I want to cook that? Well, I've taught food photography for many years, and there are actually theories about food photography. When you don't have smell, you just have your visual sense mm -hmm. to appreciate the food. Texture becomes the most important thing. So I can show the crispiness and crunchiness of something, and you can get an idea whether that crunchy dish will have a, a smooth sauce that goes with it. You nice. know, your mouth can start feeling what the food would be like, but no smell. Right, right. Well, Hugh is, is turning to a page right oh, here. Oh, this Let's is uh, Serrano's uh, shrimp, jumbo shrimp that are... Stuff with a Mexican serrano butter sauce where, where you take the serrano chilies or jalapeno chilies and liquefy them, puree them in a blender, and then with uh, fresh, fresh, lots of fresh cilantro and garlic, uh, you make this kind of what uh, a European chef would call a compound butter. And then you fit it underneath, you fit that soft butter mixture underneath the shell, between the shell and the flesh of the giant shrimp, oh and then gosh. you barbecue the shrimp. I, and you have shrimp that have much more flavor in, of their own because they don't dry out on the barbecue since they're protected by their shell. But then you also have this fantastic compound spicy chili butter that's yeah underneath each bite. And yet I think I know what that tastes like. <clears throat> and I'm only looking at a picture. It's page 42 on Mexican flavors. And I see the the beautiful hue, that kind of uh, pink, orangish uh, glow from a cooked shrimp. It's got mm -hmm. a little bit of the char on it, so I can taste right, that right. slightly uh, burnt grilled flavor. Yes. And there's green specks. There's obviously some herbs, and there's a glistening to it, so I know that there's that butter on there. Oh, my gosh. Whatever it is, you know how to <laughs> yeah. do it, Terry. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm hungry. That looks great. Go home, page 42. You guys are very good entertainers. You know, that's a big part of your philosophy is how not only, not only to cook and convey flavors, but how to show people a good time. You want to talk about it? I know you're not into this whole show-off fancy dinner party thing. Right. I think, you know, the, the thing is that if you give a fantastic dinner party and you do everything yourself and you spend untold days with the preparation and, the, and then the presentation and so forth, it's kind of intimidating for your friends that, that are going to be around the table at the same time. If you can get people to bring a bottle of wine and someone who makes wonderful desserts brings a dessert and someone else brings a an appetizer it's more of a we event and it's mm -hmm. more collaborative you're known to have your guests actually cook the dinner yes but we you know a lot of the dinners you know i uh, they'll bring some dishes over but hugh's uh 
pretty famous for having people help with dumplings, right, rolling right. Yeah, the dumplings, yes. the dumplings. Yeah, especially something time-consuming like that. Just bring them in. Keep, you give them a glass of wine. Well, I, hope, well, I mean, don't, <laughs> don't you find, Judd, that when you have friends over for dinner that it's, it's often hard to keep them out of the kitchen? Well, there's really – yeah, I've never actually used my living room to entertain people. It's a, They come over, and they're immediately in the kitchen. We stay there. And our, yeah. our dining is adjacent. It's open. Mm-hmm. So they just gravitate right there. Nobody's going to hang out in the living room. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah, right. The Put same at our house. Mm-hmm. Put them to work. Have them help plate the entree and and cut up the cheesecake for dessert and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Any uh, funny stories resulting from that, uh, having folks uh, – Oh, when you cook or just odd, odd. It seems like that would be a good seed for some odd stories. Yeah, we had a we had a dinner party many years ago uh, with our publisher Phil Wood, who was the publisher for ten of our books, and it was in the evening, and it was uh, it was really dark outside, and there was a, a next door property that had hired a uh, a, a sheep herder, goat herder, <laughs> yeah. from Bakersfield. And the the goats got onto our property, and so it was like this giant mowing machine that you could hear kind of moving across, you know, consuming every rose bush, every dahlia, every every growing oh, plant. No. And so your whole landscape. Yeah. Was so everyone at the table, there were about twelve of us. All we all rushed outside. But I said to Phil, who was a little bit infirm at that point, I said, "Now you are a publisher, and you've got to stay in good health. You cannot come outside." and poke around in the dark trying to tackle these goats. And so in just like two seconds, he was out there tackling. Grabbed his flashlight. He wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And it was just the funniest, funniest story. So we had to make a long line and and chase the goats back under the fence. And then seal the fence. And, you know, it was all done in pitch darkness. And and Talk about putting your guests to work. We opened some more wine. Yeah. (laughs) What a story. And and the folks probably uh, we never, still, never forgot it. That's right. That's never got right. it. Put them to work in the kitchen. Put them to work goat herding. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, how could I replicate that? You know, how, how do I give somebody that type of experience? You can't. There's just, it's there's a Napa Valley experience. Yeah, for sure. It's being willing to be spontaneous. <laughs> and that's really important, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I do thrive on that. Either, you know, surprising folks or getting surprised myself. I just I just love that. Do you have some tips? You know, we've got the holidays coming up. A lot of people are going to be entertaining. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, get your get your guests oh, to Hugh, maybe help out. What, what's Hugh has an to... exciting idea for oh, our, yeah. our turkey I'm really, really excited about the turkey. Every year I, I do the turkey. The gravy and the stuffing, and that's sort of my specialty. And then everyone else pitches in and does other things. Yeah. But this year I'm going to serve the turkey not only with our traditional gravy, but also the way that it's served in Mexico, which is with a mole sauce. Ooh, mole yeah. meaning mixture. Yeah. And in this case, a mole sauce that's a red mole sauce with chocolate stirred in at the end as an alternative, quote, gravy mm. to serve with the, with the barbecued turkey. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm sure everyone's going to try that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm already dreaming about the 30 ingredients that are going to go into this mole sauce. (laughs) We have a blender. Oh, yeah, I have a blender. I have one of those wonderful Vitamixes. Oh, serious. Yeah. That sounds great. There's a lot of different types of mole, right? How do you choose your turkey mole? There are many, many different types of moles. There are green moles. We had a fantastic mole many years ago uh, made by a chef in San Miguel that was a pistachio mole. Yeah. Just green pistachios yeah, yeah. and seasonings. That was beautiful. But, of course, for North Americans, we're mostly familiar with uh, the Mexican moles that are, ch- are made with dried chilies that are rehydrated and, and pureed in an electric blender. The red, the red moles. Yeah. And in this case, I'm going to use the ancho chilies 
I'll use a couple of ancho chilies, some guajillo, these long, slender red chilies that have a mild flavor and really delicious, and a chili called chili negro, a black chili. And that'll be the foundation, and then all kinds of nuts and so forth that are and seas and spices that have been sautéed and lightly browned, and then uh, pulverized in a spice grinder. And oh, wow! You know, anyway, I'm already, I'm dreaming about it every night. All right, full report. We want to have that. Oh, that sound means it's time for Judd's Napa Valley Show Game Show Show segment. What we're going to do right here, we have Hugh Carpenter and Terry Sanderson. Terry, you have a piece of paper and a pen in front of you. I want you to take that, hide it from Hugh. Don't let him see it. <laughs> Hugh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you fill in three blanks. You're going to think. Terry's actually going to fill in the blanks. Then we're going to hear your answers and see if we can match. Are you ready? The three blanks are going to be, don't look, Hugh, hot blank, fast blank, and blank Flavors. You can start thinking. A little thinking music for you, Hugh. So once again, we have hot blank, fast blank, and blank flavors. Hopefully, this is stirring your memory. The creative juices are flowing. Are you getting some ideas? Uh, a few. Okay, Terry, have you... Uh... I've written them down. All right. Hugh, hot... Hot tamales. Tamales. Terry, what did you write down? I wrote down Hot Walk, the hot title walk. of one of our most popular cookbooks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's good to plug that, Terry. <laughs> that's right. Okay, Hot Walk, one of your 16 cookbooks. Fast Blank. Fast Appetizers. Fast Appetizers. Another title of our book. Terry, yeah, what That's you the same that I wrote. Ah, <laughs> very good. Um, where's that? Uh... There it is. There's that. <laughs> you won that one. Blank flavors. Blank flavors. Yeah. Mexican flavors. Mexican flavors. What did you write, Terry? Yeah, that's the yeah. same that I wrote. The title of our current. Cookbook. Trying to mention every book that we've done. There you go. Okay. You you won two out of three. Tell them, Lauren Mole, what they've won. You just won a trip to Washington D.C. Fabulous. It's not all expense paid, and you just have to go out there to Foster Road and stick your thumb out. But okay. have fun. <laughs> Say hello to the Capitol. Always what exciting a generous things. radio great show. <laughs> we'll be back soon. <laughs> that's great. In this book, Mexican Flavors, I can't stay away from it. I have to keep going back because I'm so intrigued by it. You talk about the four pillars of Mexican cooking. Yeah, well, there's there's several. Four, you know, there are chilies and corn and chocolate. What would be a, a fourth one? I think the fourth is tomato. And tomatoes, really important. But there, there are a whole lot of others that are, that are also important. You know, avocado, for example. In, in Mexico, you see... Dozens and dozens of different varieties of avocados. I mean, that's really important. And then there's that wonderful uh, fruit from the from uh, the nightshade family called uh, tomatillas. Mm-hmm. That's like a, a a sour a sour tomato. On the cover uh, of the book, all these are pictured actually. Yeah, Very good I love the cover the of the book, and it's all the foods that have become so popular around the world that originated in Mexico, not in all of Latin America, just in Mexico corn and uh, the beans, the pinto beans and black beans and That's a beautiful uh, representation tomatoes, of the, uh, of the, the ingredients. Yeah. Pumpkin seeds. Pepitas. Pepitas. Lots of squash originated in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yum. Folks can find this book via your website? 
they yeah. they can order it from us going to uh, hughcarpenter.com. We'll uh, send an autograph copy. Au- autograph copy, but idea. of course, you know, there's always Amazon. Yeah, there's our local books. And it's there's at local bookstores everywhere that need to be supported. Absolutely. It's available at a lot of the wineries in the valley. Mm-hmm. Very good. At Get the out. Culinary Institute. Get out, taste some wine, visit your local wineries, and if you live in Napa County, go to the uh, Napa Valley Vintners website and click on Napa Neighbors Program, and many of our local wineries give either complimentary tastings, discounts on wine, all kinds of specials. Uh, and you might run into this Mexican Flavors book. I have to ask you one more major question before we go. Uh, Hugh has answered this question in a past show, so I know his answer. But, Terry, <laughs> do you go nuts for donuts? No, I don't. Well, today's Hugh's lucky day because they're <laughs> all for him because I know he does. You mentioned that chocolate is one of the pillars of Mexican cuisine. <laughs> so in honor of that, every one of these donuts in here features some chocolate. Oh. There you go. So, Hugh, why don't you pick one? Lauren, feel free. We'll let Hugh go first. Let's see what his choice is. Oh, well, mine, mine is the old classic. You know, uh, the chocolate you... raised donut, the classic. Now, what recipe out of your Mexican Flavors book would you pair that chocolate raised donut with? Uh, with the uh, uh, homemade ginger ice cream. Wonderful. Because then you have this wonderful, slightly sharp-tasting ginger-flavored ice cream, rich from the use of eggs and cream. Mm. To dip into a, a, a chocolate glazed donut, I think it'd be fantastic. It sounds absolutely. The only thing I'm missing wonderful. right now is the ice cream. Uh, we can we can do that. You know what? We can't send you to Washington D.C. on our nickel, but if you got a minute, I'll take you for ice cream after the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hugh Carpenter, Terry Sanderson, I really want to thank you for coming in. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. I love this book. I love all your books. I've got. Uh, at least over half of your books on my shelf right now. Now I need to go, go out and get the rest. Uh, but thanks for coming, spending some oh, time. Oh, great Thank to you be so here, much, Chad. Chad. Good luck with this. And there's only like a couple spots left for the first week in February. That's right. That's right. Go to HughCarpenter.com and uh, go to TerrySanderson.com as well and see some of the uh, beautiful photographs and see what she's up to. Thank you. This is Lauren Mall speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show. A Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.